Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Dimez. And I'm Daniel Almaguer. And today's topic is all about theistic evolution. Yes, the topic that always comes up in my day-to-day. -day. Totally. Yep. <laughs> in Everyday Apologetics, we'll see a Darwin Day clip from biochemist Fuzzle Vrana. In Science Faith Connection, Jeff Sorenk will chat with philosopher Mark Perez as he offers a philosophical perspective on theistic evolution. First up is Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing Fuzz Rana on a scientific perspective on theistic evolution. So let's go ahead and check it out. Now it's time for Culture Talk where we talk about culturally relevant topics that you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with biochemist Fuzzle Rana. Thank you for joining us. Sandra. We're gonna be talking about scientific perspectives on theistic evolution. So first, I'd like to define our terms. Um, let's talk about theistic evolution. Now, as a theory, um, some Christians will view that as, um, as evolution challenges the Christian perspective. And then mm -hmm. some will say that that was a mechanism that God used mm -hmm. to, um, to create. Mm -hmm. So um, we want to talk about that. But before we dive into that, Let's talk about the different types of evolution because I think the common understanding is that evolution is evolution and there aren't different types. Yeah, well, and I find it helpful mm -hmm. when you think about this question of how should I think about evolution mm -hmm. from a Christian perspective is to recognize that evolution can be categorized into different types of evolution, mm -hmm. really with respect to the scale of the transformation being mm -hmm. described. So microevolution would be a variation that takes place within a species. Mm -hmm. So the, the peppered moth changing its wing color mm -hmm. is an example of microevolution. Uh, another example would be speciation, where one species can give rise to a closely related sister species. Mm -hmm. So the Galapagos finches is an example of, of speciation. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, that same mechanism that generates speciation could even in principle account for the origin of of different genera, families. Uh, then there's, of course, microbial evolution. Mm -hmm. we're, we're all, we've been through the COVID-19 pandemic, so mm -hmm. we're aware of the fact that microorganisms will evolve, viruses, bacteria, other single-celled organisms. Uh, then there's other forms of evolution. Macroevolution, as mm -hmm. we might call it, refers to the evolution of one major group from another major group, and mm -hmm. this typically involves the generation of biological novelty mm -hmm. in organisms. And then last but not least would be chemical evolution or sometimes called the origin of life question mm -hmm. where uh, chemicals would have evolved and self-organized into the very first cells, um, usually, usually conceived of in, in Darwinian terms. Mm -hmm. So when we think about these different categories of evolution, it helps us to make sense of which categories are compatible mm -hmm. with the Christian faith, regardless of your view of, of whether or not God used evolution to create, yeah. you know, and in which categories uh, potentially challenge the creator's role or the creator's involvement. Right. And I think it's very helpful because um, I've been asked the question before, and I'm sure you have, do you believe in evolution? And the expectation is you say yes or no, but it isn't really that simple if we're thinking about different types of evolution, right? right? Yeah. So which ones would you say would um, fit well within your Christian perspective and which ones yeah. do you think you need to kind of unpack a little bit more? Yeah. 
Uh, I, I, as an old earth creationist, mm -hmm. uh, don't outright reject the evolutionary paradigm, mm -hmm. but I don't accept it in its entirety. Mm -hmm. So for me, the idea of microevolution, speciation, microbial evolution are non-controversial. They're mm -hmm. scientifically well-established. When it comes to macroevolution and chemical evolution, here we're ascribing tr genuine creative potential mm -hmm. to the evolutionary process. And for some people, they would argue, well, if evolution can explain the origin of life and the origin of life's major groups, then what role is there for a creator to play? Mm -hmm. And so I, I see those forms of evolution as being uh, really a challenge to the idea of a creator's role mm -hmm. in the origin and the history of life. And those are um, chemical and macro evolution. That's right, correct? yes. So what would be examples of chemical evolution and then right. what would be the example of macro evolution? Well, you know, uh, macro evolution would be something like uh, whales evolving from uh, a wolf-like creature mm -hmm. uh, called Pachycetus or uh, that, um, or, um, uh, you know, dinosaurs, or sorry, check that, birds evolving from dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, chemical evolution would in essentially involve the, the transformation of chemicals on the early earth in the prebiotic soup uh, into the very first cells through mm -hmm. a process of aggregation and complexification. So that's non-life to life. Y yes, yes. Okay. And so those are the ones that you would say would challenge the right. Christian perspective. Yes. So then how do we address that question? If you're coming from a Christian perspective, how do you right. look right. at chemical evolution and macroevolution? Right. Well, I mean, you know, theological concerns are important, mm -hmm. you know, but we also want to make sure that our theological concerns are grounded in the science. Mm -hmm. and. Scientifically speaking, no one knows how chemical evolution could have generated the first cells. Mm -hmm. And um, when it comes to uh, macroevolution, uh, the, the evidence for macroevolution is, is largely inferential. It's not mm -hmm. direct evidence. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, scientists working on macroevolutionary problems struggle to explain how evolutionary mechanisms can generate biological novelty. So mm -hmm. to be skeptical about those two aspects of evolution uh, is scientifically legitimate. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, outside the scientific mainstream because scientists who ascribe to the evolutionary paradigm struggle to account for those kinds of uh, transitions in life's history. So that would be something like um, the last universal common ancestor, like trying to find that? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, and, and not and, having that yet, right? Yes, yes. Or uh, part of the problem too would be, you know, when organisms evolve from one major group to the other, mm -hmm. you're you're creating new biological systems, and the challenge is how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Because the, the 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 genetic networks that have to emerge, and then have to be expressed over time through the developmental process, are extremely intricate and extremely uh, integrated with one another. Mm -hmm. And that poses very real problems in terms of how do you account for a biological novelty. So when you talk about um, your perspective as an old earth creationist, how do you differentiate an old earth creationist perspective from a theistic evolutionist perspective? Yeah, well, a theistic evolutionist would, would embrace the evolutionary paradigm in its totality. Mm -hmm. And again, see evolution as a means by which God creates. As an old earth creationist, I would be skeptical of aspects of the evolutionary paradigm, mm -hmm. but I, I, and so I wouldn't accept it in its entirety. 
right. but I would accept aspects or parts of it. Right. So there is then a distinction though, because I think sometimes there's confusion, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Both theistic evolutionists and old earth creationists would accept the antiquity of the earth mm -hmm. and the antiquity of life on earth. Mm -hmm. They both would see a history of life on earth that spans you know, hundreds of millions of years, well, actually billions of years, mm -hmm. if you think about my, you know, the very first appearance of microorganisms mm -hmm. on the earth. So they both would acknowledge that those pieces of evidence, mm -hmm. they both would see the fossil record as being a proxy for the history of life on earth, as opposed to being the product of a, of a, a global flood event. Right. Right. Well, thank you for that. I think that definitely helps to explain the different types of evolution and to explain the distinction between an old earth perspective and theistic evolution. Um, so when you're talking about evolution or that topic comes up, how do you use that to have a conversation about your faith or to show, um, to affirm your faith? Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to the, the question of evolution, you really are ultimately dealing with the question of origins. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, people are interested in where do we come from as human beings? And, and so I think discussing evolution is really fertile ground for, for those kinds of conversations that lead to the deeper questions as to who we are as human beings. But there's a lot of people I meet who simply say, if evolution can explain everything in biology, then a creator is not necessary. Why do I need to believe in a creator? Right. And if you can show people that evolution might be part of the story, but it's not the total story, and that it really does look like you need a creator to explain at least some aspects of life's history, mm -hmm. that then opens up people to the possibility that if there's a creator, then how do I relate to that creator? Right. Well, you talked about just like um, there's more to the story and there's yeah. definitely more to this conversation. So we yeah. can't talk about everything here. Um, is there a certain resource that you would want us to point people to? I think you have an article on, yeah. what is it, caffeine eating bacteria? Yeah, so yeah. there's an article I wrote a few years ago mm -hmm. about uh, the evolution of caffeine eating bacteria. And there I describe the different types of evolution. And again, give people hopefully a helpful framework to think about evolution as a Christian. Well, thank you for that, Buzz. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hear more on this topic, go to reasons.org and search for caffeine eating bacteria. And so evolution is a, a sequence of chance events, if you will, a sequence of these random events. Uh, and the idea is that if you could rewind the tape of life to, to use the, uh, the analogy that the late Stephen Jay Gould used or the metaphor that Gould used and, and replay the tape of life, the outcome would be different every time. Uh, that is, again, uh, the outcome of the evolutionary process is in effect directionless, it's, it's happenstance. Evolution is a historically contingent process. Now, as somebody who uh, views uh, life from the lens of a biochemist, but also from the lens of a, a, a Christian, I struggle with the idea of God using evolution as a way to create because when you think about this process where evolution lacks direction, where it's a historically contingent process, where it's a, an unguided, undirected process, I find it difficult to square that in any way, shape, or form with the idea that God is employing evolution as a means to create. Now, what I see many uh, 
friends of mine who are evolutionary creationists or theistic evolutionists do is they argue, well, maybe God is directing the evolutionary process in ways that are imperceptible to us, uh, that God is directing the evolutionary process, let's say through manipulating things uh, uh, at the quantum level. And so that God's activity is buried within quantum indeterminacy. And so that he's actively directing the outcome of evolution, but we're not able to actually recognize that. And, and so to me, I struggle with that idea because it, if we can't recognize how God is involved in the process, then why are we appealing to a creator directing the evolutionary process? And in my experience, people that are skeptics uh, or, or seekers who have questions about how evolution fits within the Christian faith, they're usually not impressed, in my experience, with that particular approach where you're, you're making God superfluous and then you're tacking God uh, onto the process at the back end as a theological maneuver. Uh, and, and so I find many people are really not impressed with this. Now, this is where process structuralism comes in, because this is a, a very interesting idea, at least as I uh, understand it. And one of the thinkers who I think has been really influential in advancing this idea would be Simon Conway Morris, an evolutionary biologist and a paleontologist who's a, an expert, one of the world's leading experts in the Cambrian explosion. And uh, Simon Conway Morris argues that actually evolution is not historically contingent, but rather it appears to be directed towards specific end goals. And his argument for this is the high level of convergence that we see in, in the living realm, that it, looked as, it looks as if uh, evolution has independently hit upon identical or nearly identical outcomes over and over and over again. And he argues that this seems to indicate that there is something within the laws of nature that are physically constraining the, the, the evolutionary outcome, directing the evolutionary process towards a particular end goal. And so the way to think about this is that, again, he would still argue that evolution involves random variation of the genetic material that's operated on by natural selection, but, uh, but that, that that process that is operating is constrained by, uh, by the laws of nature. And so it, the analogy could be, if, you, if anybody's familiar with Hot Wheels, it would be like a Hot Wheel track where you're placing a car at the top of the track and that car, when you let go, is going to operate according to uh, the gravitational forces that, and the frictional forces that are operating on it. But because it's on a track, it's going to go to a, a specified end, end point. It's going to go where you direct it based on the structure and the design of the track. And so Simon Conway Morris argues that when you think about convergence, uh, it seems to indicate that evolution is predetermined to go to particular end goals that seem to be, again, specified by certain physical constraints uh, that are imposed upon living organisms. And, and so this would be called process structuralism, where evolution is not unguided, but is a directed process. And I find this idea actually intriguing and is an idea that I think is, is actually compatible with theism and is an idea that I think uh, 
forms a type of theistic evolution that is something where you can clearly see a teleology to the evolutionary process where you could see God ordaining or uh, actually directing or designing uh, nature in such a way that evolution goes to particular endpoints. So I find the idea intriguing. I'm, I'm open to the idea. Uh, uh, and, and so uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that I embrace it, but I'm very much open to the idea. And I think this is the type of thinking that actually provides a way forward for uh, evolutionary creation that begins to, I think, force a convergence of evolutionary creation and old earth creation. Uh, that once you start talking about structural structuralism or process structuralism, you now are uh, operating in a regime that's very similar to how an old earth creationist would think about God, namely that God is intervening uh, throughout earth's history to bring about his particular purposes. How precisely God intervenes, I think, is an interesting question that relates to divine action. But I think once you start describing God's involvement in that way, and you start looking at structure, uh, process structuralism, it definitely becomes one mode of, of what operation or one mode of divine activity that, again, I think begins to build a bridge between theistic evolution and old earth creationism. Hello, Jeff Zwerink, and welcome back to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we explore important scientific and philosophical ideas and see how they relate to the truth of Christianity. Today, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Mark Perez, a philosopher, and we are going to look at some of the philosophical issues that arise when discussing evolution. Mark, good to have you in the studio today. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So normally we spend time talking about the evidence for this, the junk DNA, the scientific uh, stuff, but I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about some of the philosophical issues that arrive when, arise when you discuss evolution. And, and I know you've encountered a number, so uh, why don't, I'm just going to throw you the question. What sort of things arise philosophically that trouble you when we talk about evolution? Well, one of the philosophical questions that arises is, it comes in the form of a question or a claim against Christians. Mm -hmm. And it's that Christians will look at the theory of evolution, for example, and say, well, you know what, you guys are just filling in the gaps with God. And so you're, you're trying to explain what evolution would explain by using God instead. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not occurring, but there's a philosophical underpinning to that. And so if we were to start talking about philosophy of science and how it applies here, what we would see is that there's a, there's a metaphysical presumption, and that metaphysical presumption is that, that the only explanations that can be offered in science are explanations from nature to nature. In other words, mm -hmm. all, all physical events have to have physical causes. So when, the, when you hear someone say, well, you guys are just filling in the blanks with, with God because you don't know the, the answers to a particular question, um, you have to ask, what kind of questions does that really apply to? Mm -hmm. So where it typically applies is, for example, in origins questions. So if you, if you think about what the theory of evolution is saying, and we'll define theory of evolution as the theory that says that humans and all the living things alive today descended from one or more last universal common ancestors, some microbe or microbes billions of years ago. Okay. So... If that's what evolution is, it's the slow, steady creep and expansion of the diversity of life to, to get what we have here today. 
then one of the questions arises is how did that originate? Mm -hmm. Where did it start? So that's one of the first places where Christians will say, you know, if, if we were to examine that question, we would say, look at the Bible. Mm -hmm. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says God created life. That's an interesting start. So that's a theistic perspective, and that's a theistic worldview. The naturalist worldview would say, no, we're not even going to include the possibility that God could be a cause of any kind of physical event. So, so in some sense, you've got, you know, it's like you can say, all right, well, we're looking for naturalistic explanations, but that's in some sense assuming a, a worldview or a constraint on how you're going to look at things. And if you, if you now say this discussion is on whether God exists, you've got this problem. Is that kind of where you're going? Or it seems to me that that, that poses a problem there. Yeah, it does. But in defense of the, the naturalist, you can't look at everything in nature and all of this, all of the scientific inquiries you could make, and when you can't figure it out, just point to God and say, well, God did it. You know, right, yeah. You have lightning, you can't <laughs> say, well, God made the lightning, or the volcano, God made the volcano. What you can do is distinguish those kinds of things, the kinds of things where you can constantly have access to the information and constantly study them against singular events. And mm -hmm. By singular events, I mean something that happens only once. Like the origin of life. Origin of life, yeah. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of others too, but we'll mm -hmm. start with the origin of life. So, so in some sense, there's this, it seems like there are two questions wrapped up in this. One is, what are we going to define science? You know, are we going to define science as only natural causes, or can we include supernatural causes? That's one discussion. And then the other one is, if, if we're going to say just within the, the naturalistic causes, do we have a way to claim anything about the supernatural based on what we find in science? It seems like there's, there's two issues wrapped up in what you're bringing here. There are a couple of issues. There are actually quite a few. <laughs> but if we're, going to, if we're going to answer the question about the claim that Christians are applying God of the gaps mm -hmm. um, philosophy or technique to the origin of life, for example, um, what distinguishes that from the volcanoes and the lightning. You know, mm -hmm. Why don't we say that God did that? We right, were okay. saying it the origin. Well, the reason is that when you look at the research and origin of life, they run into a wall. And not only did they run into a wall that, that says that they can't find the answer, but that the more they dig, the more elusive it is. In other words, the more impossible it seems that life originated naturally. Mm -hmm. Now you go to the Christian perspective, the Christian perspective says, well, okay, we would expect that. Mm -hmm. We look at the Bible and it says that God created it whole cloth, de novo, not by some tiny little accretions. So we start out with two different ways of looking at the same evidence, and the two worldviews give you different answers. Mm -hmm. Now let's, let's kind of move forward there. If, you've, if you go from the origin of life and you say, all right, well, all right, well, eventually we'll figure it out, says the naturalist. We'll, we'll get mm -hmm. this figured out. Well, the problem is, as a matter of fact, the more they study it, the more they realize they can't figure it out, and they're resorting to things like panspermia, you know, something from another planet came right. and dropped it off here. All that does is push it back further. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really solve the problem. So when you see those kinds of things happening where scientists are saying, um, we can't figure this out, and so they come up with these extraordinarily unlikely scenarios that they can't prove any more than, a, say, a person who says that God did it. Mm -hmm. At that point, you're, you have two theories, 
and one of them has more explanatory power than the other. For example, the, the Christian worldview says, well, let's, let's look at origin of life for a second, but, but let's go a little bit ahead into life. Let's mm -hmm. just leave that alone for a minute. Um, let's look at, say, a couple of the periods of, of life's history where some staggeringly complex creatures emerged all at once. Mm -hmm. One of them is what's known as the Avalon event or Avalon explosion. We have this large number of very complicated creatures just showing up mm -hmm. about 580 million years ago, plus right. or minus. No explanation, none. There's, there's no fossil record behind it mm -hmm. that leads up to that. Or at least there's not an explanation within the context of, oh, it's just kind of this gradual process, if you will. So. Yeah, not only gradual process, but even large leaps. There's okay. no explanation there. All right. As a matter of fact, if you actually read the study on, that, on the discovery of that Avalon explosion, uh, one of the authors said this, there, is, there are no descendant relationships that mm -hmm. lead to what we see here. Okay. Which is a staggering, staggering conversation. Right. So how did they get there? Mm-hmm. The naturalist is saying, well, we're not quite sure yet. There could be this, could be that, could be that, all of which are completely speculative because they have no evidence. Mm -hmm. The Christian, however, says, well, let's go to our Bible. What would the Bible predict we'd find in this kind of evidence in the fossil record? Exactly what you found. God created each type after their own kind. So God created animals at different times, and he created them each after their own kind. We would expect that. So we would expect a sudden emergence of certain large-scale body plans because mm -hmm. we don't really know what kind means. The Bible isn't that clear. So certainly fish are different from mammals, are different from birds. We can say at least those three kinds. Mm -hmm. So, so, so if, if I get to that, it seems like there's a distinction between, well, lightning's out there, God did it, is kind of a we don't understand, we don't want to do the work, whereas these others are we've done the work and it looks like something beyond the natural is what's going on here. So it's, it's really two different classes of things. So, you know, and, and so Christians need to be careful not to just say, well, we don't know. Correct. As opposed right. to, hey, all the evidence seems to be pointing in this direction. Yes. And what do the two theories predict? Mm -hmm. That's very important because if the, the evolutionary theory would predict that you'd see a lot of buildup of more right. and more varied and diverse creatures leading up to this Avalon explosion, for example. It's not there. Right. What would you expect if you saw it, read the Bible and took it literally? You would expect a sudden burst of these creatures mm -hmm. of various kinds. And that's exactly what you find there. You find it later on, about 20 million years later, with the Cambrian explosion. Exactly the same problem. Sudden emergence of these widely divergent phyla. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, there's nothing between the Avalon and between the Cambrian. Right. How? The, the naturalists are completely stumped by that. And they admit it. It's not even something that Christians are saying that they're saying. It's actually what's in their own literature. Mm -hmm. that we have no idea how this happened. They come up with speculations. They come up with um, hypotheses. But they're very difficult to test because you can't go back. Right. But again... Which one of the two theories actually makes sense? Go back to the Bible. Would you expect this other secondary buildup of, of creatures? Yes, it meets the exactly meets what the Bible would predict. Same thing with humanity. The mm -hmm. emergence of humanity. You get the same problem there. Humans are unique and they appear to have a set of 
properties that are different from all of the creatures that came before them. So how do you explain that? Well, the Bible's very clear about it. It has a Genesis account that tells mm -hmm. God created humans, whole cloth from nothing, not from creatures before it. So when you look at these kinds of things and, and we as Christians say God did it, we're not just trying to fill in a gap where there's the absence of evidence. We're filling in a gap that's correspondent to our theory. The, the evidence actually fits our theory, but does not fit the evolutionary scheme. Well, thanks, Marsha. I appreciate your comments. You know, when you look at Scripture, there are things in Genesis that the Bible says God created or God formed things, and we expect to see these kind of sudden appearance of things. And lo and behold, when we look at the scientific record, we find a lot of evidence of those things. And so as we think about using God as or inviting God into our scientific explanations, we need to make sure, one, that we're not saying, well, we just don't know, therefore God did it. But we also need to be okay saying where, hey, we expect to find this when the evidence lines up. We could say, yeah, that's where God did it. You know, I'd encourage you to go to reasons.org. There's a great series of articles and podcasts that you can listen to. If you search for perspectives on theistic evolution that talk a lot about these philosophical issues as well as some of the scientific evidence that back them up. Go check it out. Get equipped so that you can talk and be philosophically sound in how you're talking. We hope this episode has helped equip you to share your faith with compassion and confidence. And you know what? I definitely learned a lot about the different types of evolution because yes. we so often hear evolution, yes or no. Right, and you just immediately think, oh, evolution, people came from monkeys and yeah. things like that. So <laughs> Why are there still monkeys? I'm yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> so we definitely learned a lot. And you know, yes. if you want to continue digging into topics like this, be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2819show. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And you know what? If you have some ideas, send them our way. Yeah, shoot them in the comments. And if you would like the audio version of the show, you can find us on most major podcast services. Just search Reasons to Believe Podcast. See you next week. See ya.